The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Hey guys, welcome to the first Inn of Spring. Um, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for bringing back together this community um, tonight. We thank you that you are present in this space, that you are with us here and now. And God, I pray that we would be made aware of your presence, that you would open our ears and our hearts to what it is that you want to teach us from your word, God. I pray that um, the meditation of all of our hearts and the words that come out of my mouth will be glorifying to you that you would experience praise as we gather as your people in this place. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, welcome back to the Inn after spring break. My name is Janie. I'm one of the people on staff here, if you don't know me. Um, And I'm excited to see everybody that's here. Um, I hope you all had a good time doing whatever it is that you were doing over break. As you heard from um, Pat and Ryan, there were some of us at the inn were on a bunch of trips uh, in different countries. Um, there were people up in Malibu, um, can- Canada. Um, that's not Malibu. Uh, there were some of us in Honduras. I got to go to Honduras, which was great. I have the bug bites to prove it. Somehow I've developed more bug bites as I've returned. I don't know how that happened. But there were 36 of us. Um, and here's some pictures. From our trip, people working really hard on our construction site, which is great. Actually, we worked soups hard. It looks like we're resting, but we worked really hard. And you can see uh, we did cement, did a foundation of a dormitory. And then those are 10,000 coffee plants that we planted. 10,000, yeah. Uh, Worked on a coffee plantation. Um, So that was a great trip. And then there were people up at Malibu in Canada. getting young life. So the scenery is pretty good. And then they moved this playground structure from one place to another. Um, and then they burned some stuff. I mean, that's awesome, right? Uh, so they were getting camp ready for young life camps this summer up at Malibu. And then as you heard, there were people in the Dominican Republic and I have some photos from that trip. And they played baseball and played with kids and did some painting. Um, so there you can see what it was that they were doing. And going on service projects on cross-cultural mission is a great way to um, discover other worldviews, including other Christian worldviews. How do other people encounter Jesus? Um, we think this is an important thing to do in order for us to grow in our own faith. And I have a couple more DR pictures that I want to show you. Um, and I want to see if, what do you notice? There's, so there's some, some women down there carrying some kids. And then there's some guys playing kendama, right? Kendama goes Japan, US, DR. It's pretty exciting. The gospel of kendama. Um, what do you guys notice about these pictures? Is there anything you notice about them? It's sunny. Sunny and warm, like 90 degrees. What's up? Yeah, the guys are wearing pants and button-up collared shirts, and the girls are wearing long skirts. It's 90 degrees in the Caribbean. This is not what you expect college students to be wearing on spring break. Um, but we ask people who go to the DR to dress, to dress modestly. We ask them 
um, to not wear tank tops when they're in the villages. They wear long skirts. Girls have to cover their knees with the pants that they wear. Guys wear pants. We ask them to wear one-piece bathing suits. If they have tattoos, we ask them to cover up their tattoos. Um, and why do we ask people to meet these extremely modest expectations? Why do we do that? The reason is the organization we go with, Children of the Nations, and the Dominicans um, in the DR, that's where they are, um, <laughs> they expect anyone who calls themselves Christian will dress pretty modestly. Now, we might think, wow, that seems like rules, right? Legalistic. Why do we have to follow that as Americans? We don't really have a dress code. Even as Christians, we can do whatever. We can tat up our body. It's totally fine. But our convictions is that personal expression, clothing, tattoos, our modesty might not be the same as theirs, but when we're going to another place and we want to serve them, we want to respect the convictions that they have, even if they might disagree with our convictions. And this is what we would call a disputable matter. And when we find ourselves on different sides, we want to use their definitions when we disagree. Now, this quarter, why are we talking about this? Why am I bringing up what people wore in the DR? Whatevs, right? This quarter, we're starting a new series called Strong Opinion, Stronger Faith. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the topics of, that Christians disagree on um, and have strong opinions about and can end up being really divisive amongst Christians and really divisive in the church. Now, as I get started, I want to say, make a disclaimer. I know that the word Christian is a very loaded word. There are a lot of you in here who consider yourself a follower of Jesus that never want to define yourself as a Christian um, because of what it, the, the connotations that go with it. But I just want to say, for simplicity's sake, I'm going to refer to the fo- people who are followers of Jesus Christ as Christians. So I'm going to say that knowing that might not be how you define yourself, but the way I'm using it is, is, a, is just a way to say it's someone who is a follower of Jesus. So why is this our series? Why are we talking about disputable matters, things that we disagree on? Well, I'll ask some questions for you. Have you ever been embarrassed to be a Christian um, because of the behavior of other Christians? Have you ever heard a sermon that you didn't agree with and you just got fired up about what that preacher was saying? Have you ever heard people arguing about faith and matters of faith in a way that was not uplifting or disrespectful um, and became incredibly frustrated? I imagine, like, Ryan Church, oh, when he gets really, really frustrated, he acts like he's pulling out his hair when he doesn't have hair. He's like, oh! So that's what I imagine... um, that we, how we can react to what Christians will do. One of the elements of the Christian faith, and often um, in the church, that I have a really difficult time with, is how much followers of Jesus not only disagree, but how much they hate one another. Openly hate one another. It seems like we're really quick to extend grace and love to people outside of our faith, but not so much when it comes to people that are inside our faith. We don't extend it to one another. And with the advent of social media, things like Facebook and Twitter and blogs, this has actually become open hatred that's more public for everybody to see it. Some of you might be familiar with Rob Bell. He was a pastor for a while a really, at a really big church in Michigan. 
And a couple of years ago, he, he's written five or six books, and a couple of years ago, he wrote a book called Love Wins. Um, and the subtitle is a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived. And before this book came out, before anyone had read a word of it, people just knew what the title was. This caused a huge uproar in the Christian community um, in America. One prominent theologian and minister posted on Twitter, just reading the title, not reading the book, farewell, Rob Bell, basically saying, you are on the wrong side. I don't think you're a Christian anymore, and I'm going to let everybody know it. People are obsessed with being right, knowing the right biblical teaching. I have heard so many people say, well, I really like that church, or I really like that pastor, because they have right biblical teaching. They have true biblical authority, objective approaches to the Bible. I, almost, I think no one has an objective approach to the Bible, right? Everybody has biases when they come to Scripture. And I want to know, what does it mean to say biblical authority? How can you say two churches that both use Scripture to preach and teach, one of them is more biblical than the other one? What does it even mean to say that? I can tell you this, over the course of 2,000 years of the Christian faith, there are plenty of heretics who have used biblical authority to back up what they believe. Now, maybe this is something you've noticed amongst Christians. Maybe it's something that you're oblivious to. I thought we all loved each other. But this is one small example of why we want to do this series at the end, why we want to talk about this. Now, you need to know that we are not just left to ourselves as Christians to fight to the death about who's right and who's wrong. There are passages of Scripture we can look to that can help guide us and direct us as we're trying to figure out where we are in the spectrum of these disputable matters and how to approach them. Now, sometimes when we're talking about these things, the question arises, okay, great, Janie, does that mean there are several ways to God besides just Jesus? The Bible is very clear that is not an opinion. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you believe that Jesus is the way to relationship with God. That's not disputable. And there are foundations, there are essentials that we have if we are going to be people who call ourselves followers of Jesus. Um, you might have heard the old adage, unity in the essentials, diversity in the non-essentials, charity in everything. And I would even say a better way to understand it is love in everything. There are foundational elements to our faith. And we can find those in Scripture. One of the best places to look is the book of Romans. Paul lays out in Romans the foundations of our faith, what we all believe if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus. Here's some of the things that he says for unity in the essentials. We are all, say, we are all sinners. We are all broken. Um, we are saved by grace through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we celebrated two days ago on Easter. Jesus was God, is God, dwells with us now, and will dwell with us through all eternity. Salvation in Jesus provides us with grace, with freedom, and with reconciliation in the brokenness that we have in our relationship with God, and it provides us reconciliation in our relationships with one another. Those are unifying elements that we have in our faith. There's probably a few others I just realized I left out the Holy Spirit. That's pretty important. But 
there are not a lot, there's not a giant list of things that we all have to share if we're going to call ourselves followers of Christ. Then we come to chapter 14 of Romans, and disagreements become one of the things that Paul wants to talk about. Now, before we look at chapter 14, I want to give you a little bit of context about what was going on. So Romans is written to the churches in Rome that Paul helped start, and Paul is addressing the fact that there are a bunch of house churches in Rome, and there are basically two groups of Christians in those house churches that disagree about some stuff. Two groups are the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. So those that are are Jewish are racially and ethnically Jewish. They think it's important in order to be right with God to follow the laws of the Old Testament. So those people think that you have to keep a kosher diet, that you have to keep a regimented Sabbath every single week. And they believe in ritual circumcision. They are all, all the men are circumcised during the first week of their life. And they have to do those things in order to be a good Christian. Now, the Gentile Christians, they did not come from a Jewish background. They came from a pagan culture. And they did not believe you had to have a kosher diet or keep a Sabbath. They brought elements from their own culture into their um, understanding of their relationship with Jesus. So there's dissension. They're disagreeing with one another all the time. And they probably didn't really like to be in the same room with one another. So that is what I want you to know as we look at Romans 14. at the dissension between these two groups of people. And Paul is very practically addressing it. Okay. Accept those whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat everything, but another person whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The Jewish people would only eat vegetables because they needed to keep a kosher diet. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. So the one who eats everything, the Gentile Christians, must not treat with contempt the Jewish Christians. The Jewish Christians, who are very regimented, must not judge the Gentile Christians. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master they stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some consider one day more sacred than another keeping a Sabbath. Others consider every day alike. Everyone should be fully convinced in their own mind. Those who regard one day as special do so to the Lord. Those who eat meat, like Gentile Christians, do so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. Those who abstain, like the Jewish Christians, do so to the Lord and give thanks to God. They, what do they do? They believe opposite things, and they both, in the same way, are honoring God. For we do not live to ourselves alone, and we do not die to ourselves alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether you live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat your brother or sister with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Paul's reminding them they are getting caught up in all the wrong things. They are constantly judging one another when, in fact, they all need God's grace. They are all going to stand before God's judgment seat. Let's think about this in our context in 2013. We might not argue about kosher meals 
or working on the Sabbath. But I think we can all agree there are several disputable matters that are amongst people who call themselves followers of Jesus, that people are on all ends of the spectrum when it comes to our faith and judging each other. What are some of those things? What are some of those things? Just, just yell out. What do you think are disputable matters amongst Christians? Gay marriage, same-sex marriage, yeah. Abortion? Speaking in tongues, whether or not it's an acceptable gift? Predestination, for sure. Women in leadership, preaching. <laughs> what? <laughs> Any others? How, yeah, how we are supposed to confess our sins? Dinosaurs, are they real? <laughs> there are so many things that we disagree about. Baptism, infant baptism versus adult baptism. Just war versus pacifism. Faith in public life and government, whether we should pray in public schools or we should put the Ten Commandments in City Hall. Divorce. Can you get divorced in the church? Stem cell research. Whether you should be a Democrat or Republican, capital punishment, death with dignity, with someone who's terminally ill, should they be able to commit suicide? There are so many things that are disputed in our faith. And here's the thing about what we just listed. I certainly, standing in front of you right now, have convictions about all those things. And I can show you, I can use biblical authority to show you both ends of the spectrum, how you can use scripture to back up what it is that you believe. And while I have strong convictions, I am also constantly wrestling. There are so many things, disputable matters, that I'm like, ah, I don't know. In my head, that makes sense. But my heart says, I don't know if that's what Jesus would do. Or in my heart, I'm like, yes, I'm convinced. If I, believe, if I follow Jesus, that is the truth. But my head says, that doesn't make sense. But no matter what I think about all those convictions, I would never preach to you what you have to believe about any of those disputable matters if you want to call yourself a good, right Christian in the eyes of God. In fact, I would never attend a church where from the pulpit someone told me, if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to vote Republican or Democrat, or you have to send your child to public school or private school, or there is one way to date biblically, because Scripture doesn't say a whole lot about dating, I would not want to go anywhere where the preacher told me from the pulpit what I have to believe about a disputable matter. Where this becomes a problem is we want to know the right answers, right? We want to know what is right and what is wrong in order to please God. And also, I think we want to know what can I do and get away with it. You guys, life with God is meant to be way more exciting and dynamic than that. Paul refuses to reduce Christianity to those two questions, what is right and what is wrong. In fact, I think Paul brings up a third question. No one's even considering. He's asking, what is loving? He wants the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians to consider First, what is loving? That might be the most important question, and it's the last one we ask. Now, this isn't love in our culture that's like, oh, a fuzzy, mushy feeling we have about one another. This is love defined in Scripture. That is seeking what is best for our brother and sister to grow in Christ. 
that is seeking what will help them be more who God created them to be. Paul is telling the Christians in Rome, once you know your own convictions, it is not your role to make sure everybody believes exactly what you believe in your biblical belief system. He's telling the Jew and the Gentile, more than tolerate one another, you need to love one another. You need to consider, what does your brother or sister need from you before you point the finger about how they're on the wrong side? This does not mean you don't have your own convictions, that you're wishy-washy, that you have no backbone. It means you don't impose your convictions on other people and instead consider what the other person might need in order for them to grow in their faith. Wisdom and love have to prevail as we are transformed by Christ in our own lives and we develop our own strong convictions. I went to the University of Washington, and as I did, I came to the inn every single week. Sat right back there every single week. Consistency is important to me. Um, And as I sat back there as a 19-year-old, I did not think women should be in leadership in ministry. Women should not preach or teach. And I, um, I was convinced of that. And I would be at the inn, and when a woman would get up to preach, I would think, should I get up and leave? Because I might be sitting right now. That's the Christian culture that I was raised in, so I was pretty convinced of that fact. And then I was, was involved in ministry, I was doing a lot of things, and I had some people say to me, you, can, you should consider doing this. I think you'd be good at it. I think you have gifts and talents. And I was like, no possible way I do. There's, God did not create me that way. But as people kept saying that to me, and as I kept really loving and enjoying what I was doing and, and serving, um, my convictions started to change. And through discernment and asking questions and patience and, and diligent hard work and talking to people who are wiser than I am, my convictions did change 10 years later. It took me 10 years of wrestling with what's the right answer, what's the wrong answer, to coming to the place where I am now that says women are called to lead in ministry and preach and teach just the same as men are. And a couple years ago, I was at this conference, and I was talking to someone I knew about this journey that I'd been on, how long it had taken me to get there, but what I was pretty convinced of that God had called me to this. Um, And someone that I didn't know approaches our conversation and immediately starts telling me how I was wrong how I was not called to ministry because I was a woman. That you can prove biblically that God does not call women into the same roles in the church that he calls men to. And this went on for two hours. It wasn't much of a conversation, it was more of a lecture. And the thing that I remember the most about that, and I think that the person who was saying these things to me, I think he was trying to approach me in love, letting me know that I was wrong. I don't know what his intentions were. But I remember most is, in that two hours, he never learned my name. He didn't even know me at all. We had no relationship, and I definitely did not feel loved. I want to I read the rest of the chapter, Romans 14. And as we do, I want you to consider how your own convictions have helped or hindered your brothers and sisters in Christ. Starting at verse 13. 
Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it's unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother or sister for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed are those who do not condemn themselves by what they approve. And then skipping down to um, chapter 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We should all please our neighbors for their good to build them up. We should build up our neighbors. But causing one another to stumble, that is where we get lost. It's so much easier to figure out what we believe and never be willing to falter. But when we do that, do we cause our brother and sister to falter? A big place this comes up is drinking, right? For where you are in your journey, this might be a weekly or maybe even a daily thing that you have to face. The Bible's pretty clear about one thing when it comes to drinking. Don't get drunk. But what about the rest of it? What about besides that? Okay, so let's, let's take a scenario. For the sake of this scenario, I don't work at a church that kind of confuses things a little bit. I'm maybe a college student. And I've come to the conclusion in my own mind, like Paul says, I have no problem with drinking. I'm of legal drinking age. My conviction is that I can have one or two drinks without getting drunk, so it's a non-issue. But I go to a party with a friend of mine who is having a hard time um, not engaging in what Ryan calls garden variety fraternal hedonism <laughs> to a very dangerous level. Am I going to drink in that context? No way. Paul says we should do what will lead to mutual edification. On the other end of the spectrum, I have another friend who is really close to committing their lives to Christ, to becoming a follower of Christ. But they're just hung up on how legalistic and judgmental Christians can, can be, always focusing on the rules. You aren't supposed to drink because it's not going to glorify God. I am taking that person out for a beer and showing them that Christianity is not all about legalism. There are times when our own convictions need to be put on the back burner for the upbuilding of our neighbor. For the sake of our brother or sister, there's not a blanket answer, but the one thing that has to be in every situation is love. The former director of the Inn, Mike Gaffney, who's a mentor of mine and Ryan's, he talked about disputable matters when I was a student, and he said the greatest compliment he ever received was someone saying, you know what I like about you? You have opinions, but you're not opinionated. You have strong, well-thought-out opinions, but you're not opinionated, and that shows that you're secure. 
What we have to remember is the gospel is about freedom, and we are completely missing the point if we end up pushing our convictions on other people. Okay, so what I'm saying and what Paul's saying in Romans 14, does that mean we can do anything and everything as long as we classify it as loving? I can imagine a student being like, okay, maybe we went a little bit too far in a physical relationship, but I mean, we loved it. That's what Janie said, right? The Bible is crystal clear on a lot, including behaviors. Certainly doesn't mean anything goes. It says to avoid unhealthy habits like drunkenness or sex outside of marriage that is going to hurt yourself and more especially is going to hurt other people. But the rule is still love. Sometimes the loving thing to do is approach a brother or sister who is behaving in a way that is detrimental, that is hurting themselves or hurting another person. Sometimes the loving thing to do is to approach someone that you disagree with that you have a disputable matter that you can't come to terms about and have a conversation about that disagreement. But approaching them has to be in love. It can't be about revenge. It can't be about anger. It can't be about proving the other person wrong. But it, what it has to include is laying down our rights in respect and love of another person. So if there are a few essentials, how do we figure out what it is that our own convictions are? Paul says we should be fully convinced in our own minds. And if you think that you're fully convinced, I would ask, have you brought it to God? Have you studied scripture? Have you read about it? Have you talked, about pe talked with people who know more than you, who are your mentors? Have you prayed about it? Have you wrestled with it before you've come to what your convictions are? Have you taken the apologetics class? If there is anybody who knows a lot, it is Dwayne. I mean, he knows everything. You could probably ask him any questions when it comes to scripture. And never once will Dwayne impose his convictions on you. He will, also, he will always challenge you and give you the tools you need to come to the conclusions that you can come to to discover who God has created you to be. Have you listened to people that you disagree with that have the opposite viewpoint you do? Or are you just waiting around until your pastor tells you what is biblical teaching? Are you waiting for your friend to tell you, okay, these are the Christian truths you need to know and everything else doesn't really matter? We need to become informed as followers of Jesus to be able to answer, what do I think about that? As Paul says, be convinced, stand on your faith with a backbone, but also be welcoming and embrace the opinions that are different from yours. Have opinions, but don't be opinionated and approach everything in love. That is a marker of someone who follows Jesus. And that is actively loving. As Bob Goss says, love does. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be exploring some of these topics Next week, Ryan is going to continue this conversation about drinking and how we can't blame it on the uh, 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 alcohol. <laughs> We're going to be looking at... All right, I just derailed that. We're going to be looking at money and consumerism as privileged people. We're going to look at the use of technology um, and how it affects faith and community. And we're going to be looking at same-sex marriage. 
And if you want to know more, we have a reading list on the back, just a handful of books that might help you in, in coming up with convictions. Have conversations with people. Anybody on staff is more than willing to talk to you about some of these things. Talk about it in your core group with fellow believers. Ultimately, what good does it do us to have a bunch of knowledge, to be right? I think Paul explains it best in 1 Corinthians. It doesn't do any good at all. He writes in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, it can all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Paul's saying, if we have all the knowledge in the world, if we have all of the right answers, what are our convictions, but we don't have love, what our convictions sound like is blah, 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 blah. I want to close with the greatest conviction I have in my faith, and that is that Jesus would have been well within his rights to point his finger at us and tell us all the ways that we are wrong. But instead, he took all of our wrongs upon himself, and he hung on the cross so that even though we are wrong, we can be reconciled to our God, and that we can be on a path to be reconciled with one another. Let's be a community of faith that actively loves one another as Christ actively loves each of us. God, help us form opinions and convictions in our minds, but use our hearts to love you and love those around us. Fill us with truth. Fill us with grace. God, I pray if there's anything that I said tonight, any words that came out of my mouth um, that are taken differently than it was intended, as too harsh or too sarcastic or some way, God, I pray that you would please censor my words, that um, they would be transformed into how they were intended. We want to be challenged in our comfortable places that we can get to a place where we see you clearly, that we love you dearly, and in doing so, we better love one another so that our world can see Jesus, who unites us, is far greater than the differences that divide us. In your holy name, amen.